Time out for humanity. Do you feel something is not right, but you don't know why? Do you feel depressed and overwhelmed? You're not alone. Take time out to reclaim your humanity at work, at home, and in your heart. Every episode, we chat with an expert to show you how. Thomas W. Campbell is a former NASA physicist. His expertise is in simulations and large, complex systems. He's also a consciousness explorer who teaches people how to meditate, grow up, and become love. His groundbreaking research unifies physics and metaphysics, mind and matter, the normal and the paranormal. Recently, he designed a set of physics experiments that would revolutionize our understanding of reality. The design was published in a peer-reviewed journal of quantum mechanics. His book, My Big Toe, has been translated into several languages. His YouTube videos have inspired millions to live wisely and courageously. To work with Tom directly, sign up for his online programs. The next two sessions start on June 24th and July 18th. Details in the description below. Hi, Tom. Hello, Andy. It's good to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. What is the relationship between fear and ego? Fear is the creator of ego. If you didn't have any fears, you wouldn't have any ego. The ego is awareness in the service of fear. Okay, now, awareness in the service of love is what Freud called superego. Well, roughly. You know, I, have a, I have a rough uh, what analog to, to what Freud said, but ego is really awareness in the service of fear. Now, because when Freud came to that conclusion that everybody had this thing called ego, which is, you know, I. Now, ego is not your self-identity. You can be awareness in the service of love and you know who you are it's not like ego means that you know you have a self-identity that's different self-identity is just awareness of self that's your self-identity and it can be caring and cooperative self-identity or it can be all about me you know everything's about me that's the that's the ego and that's because of fear the reason that everything is about an individual is because they're afraid that they won't get enough. They won't be loved. They won't be good enough. You know, every, it's about them. Fear is always about you. It's self-focused. When you talk about fear, anything you're afraid of, anything that causes you fear, it's about you. Love is about other. It's not about self. It's other-focused. How can I help? What can I do? How can I be of service? That's where we're going. You know, how can I cooperate? How can I help make things better? So that's, that's the difference. So fear, Ego is fear. Are they the same thing? No, not the same thing. Fear, is the fun, fear and love are opposites. It's not, it's not uh, hate and love or fear and courage. Those aren't the opposites. It's fear and love. So... Fear is the problem. And if you look at any problem that you have, anything that makes you unhappy or gives you stress or, or makes you, you know, uh, angry or whatever, it comes from fear. 
If you got rid of that fear, you wouldn't have any ego, and you'd have few, if any, beliefs. The fear also makes us believe things. It makes us believe that, uh, you know, well, it makes us believe a lot of the things the ego tells us. You know, the ego's there to whitewash that fear so we don't have to deal with it. So that fear stays in our subconscious, down below our awareness. That's what that ego's trying to do. So the ego tells us, I'm all right, I'm good. I'm not only good, but I'm wonderful. Well, I'm not only wonderful, I'm really superior. It's all those people out there that are screwing it up and aren't doing it right. If everybody would, you know, do the way I do, then the world would be wonderful. Well, every, most everybody thinks that way on every side of every issue. <laughs> the people think that way. So it's the, it's the fear that causes at the root of all you know, the problems that we have. Matter of fact, if you, if you go to a, one of the psychiatrists have this book of mental illnesses that list everything that's a mental illness, you know, its characteristics and how to treat it and so on. If you look at all of those that are not biologically derived, which is the great, you know, the great uh, percentage of them, the larger percentage of them, all of them really only have one fundamental problem. That's fear. They're all fear-based. Now, the ones that are biologically centered, that's not necessarily the case, but the ones that are psychologically centered are all fear-based. So that's, that's the one thing that we need to get rid of. Everything else will work. You get rid of that fear and you will be full of joy and peace and tranquility and happy and you won't be anxious or upset. And the first step to getting rid of fear is to acknowledge it, like you said. Yeah, right. Be authentic. Acknowledge be it. Authentic. Yeah. That's me. I got that. And now you can, once, you've, once you know you've got it, there's a couple of things you can do, and that is one, you can go back to, where did I get it? How did I get it? Where did that come from? Because sometimes you'll find that where that comes from is kind of a trivial thing. Something that you got many years ago when you were young and more easily frightened and didn't have a big picture. And you can go back and say, oh, is that it? Is that all? And then it's kind of easy to let go of it. But sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes you can't get back to it because it's so frightening. As you try to get back to it, your mind will just blank out or you just can't seem to get there because it's so frightening for you. Then just have an intent that I will get rid of this fear. Not that I will act as if I don't have it, but that I will get rid of it. Have that as a strong intention and eventually, that intent will lead you to do all the right things to get rid of it. And you will get rid of it. So can just we do really, that in meditation? Yes, you can do that in meditation. Absolutely. Speaking of fear, you know, we've been through a whole year of COVID. And it's been interesting because usually people listen to scientists. They listen to uh, epidemiologists. They listen to doctors. Mm -hmm. They wear a mask when they're told. But over this year, there have been a lot of people who don't want to do that. Um, you've said that scientists are the priests and priestess of modern civilization, and mm -hmm. the mass listens to them. What happened at COVID? 
<laughs> well, at COVID, what happened is that we have, through mass media, social media, um, and other mass media, you know, movies, books, plays, things like that, but mostly social media, we have created more and more fear. Um, all of the, um, we call it conspiracy theories, are fear-based. It's these horrible things that horrible people are doing to you in secret. You know, it's, it's all about fear. Uh, you know, and when you have fear, you need to have a boogeyman that you can point to that is the, you know, that is the scary thing. So if you're going to have fear, then you need somebody to point at. Well, government is pointed at. Uh, the economic system is pointed at. Uh, the legal system is pointed at. Political systems point out. These are all the, these are the enemies that cause us all of our problems. And as that gets associated with fear, the trust, see, society has to be built on trust. Economic systems have to be built on trust. If there's no trust, you can't, you won't have cooperation. If you don't have cooperation, then, you know, everybody's an island, right? You're all out everybody's in an island or everybody's in a little hole in the ground or living in a cave. If we're going to have social systems, legal systems, economic systems, political systems, then there has to be trust. Without any trust, those systems can't survive. And the trust has been dismantled by fear-mongering for the most part. And fear has a couple of interesting attributes. One, if you want to manipulate someone, fear is the best way to do that. If you know what someone's fears are, it's easy to manipulate them. And if they don't have fears, then if you want to manipulate them, you cause them to have fears. You try to frighten them. Tell them things that worry them, that make them frightened. So a frightened population is an easily manipulated population. Frightened individuals are easy to manipulate by you know, by, uh, you know, everybody, marketeers, you know, how do you, how do you sell uh, beer? You know, well, if you don't drink this beer, the girls won't like you and, you know, you'll be a social flop, right? They show the picture of the guy who's the flop and he has to go out and get the beer and he gets the right kind and now all the girls are hanging on him because he got the right beer. You know, well, of course, if you look at that rationally, it's ridiculous. You know, it makes no sense, but it's not meant to be rational. It's meant to play on people's fears, a fear of not being good enough, a fear of not being liked, a fear of not of having, you know, the people aren't going to uh, appreciate you or look up to you. Well, that's a fear. So they play on that fear to manipulate people to go spend their money in a particular way. So that's been our problem. Fear undermines trust. If you're fearful, you can't trust. Trust undermines civilization. Trust undermines government. It undermines authority. It undermines everything. It undermines friendships. It undermines relationships. Anything where people have to connect, lack of trust undermines it. And fear undermines that trust. So when we start believing that everybody is out there to get us and that we're poor victims of a rotten society and rotten people and rotten politicians and rotten corporations and so on, and we see ourselves as victims and we're very fearful then it's easy for us to not trust. 
And now when those people say, hey, everybody needs to wear a mask so we don't, you know, pass this disease around and kill people unnecessarily. And they go, ha, yeah, but that's that evil government that we don't trust is saying that. So it's probably just the opposite. Somehow they're, they're conning us with that mask thing. You know, it's, they're conning us with that, that uh, inoculation, that shot that we're going to get. Uh, there's something else there, something sinister. Oh, I know there's microchips in the, in the uh, juice that they're going to shoot into you and you're going to become a slave of the state or some other kind of thing. So people just make stuff up because fearful people can't think about anything other than fear. They can't think about anything other than being scared. So that's what they say. When they write, when they post things, it's all fear-based because they're fearful. And fear then spreads like a disease. If they're fearful, other people read it and they get more fearful. And it just goes round and round. So it's a, one, of these, one of these things that is self-fulfilling. The more fears you have, the easier it is to get more fears. And we've had that a lot because, one, people who want to get attention, who want to get noticed, who want to feel like they have power, people listen to them. They can move things out there. Well, the way they can do that is by being fear mongers. They can come up with something really scary and people will pay attention to them. They'll get millions of hits on their, on their website because they can come up with something scary. And the more credible they can make it sound, even though it's all made up out of you know, thin air, doesn't matter. The scarier it is and more believable it is, the more satisfaction they get out of being powerful. So fear is something that the very low of quality of consciousness, of the very low quality of consciousness, that's what they use. That's, that's their ticket to power, to manipulation, to controlling, to being important. So that's why we have all this fear. And that's why today people said, oh, the scientists say you need to wear a mask. Well, that, that's probably wrong because they're part of the establishment that is evil and trying to get us. We fear them. So civilization is basically breaking down in that sense. If you take that to its extreme, you know, we'll be back to tribes of 10 and 20 all fighting with each other with pointy sticks. You know, that's where that, that's where that leads. Isn't that unusual? Because, you know, science has <laughs> been around over 100 years and um, we've never seen such a reaction against the scientific authorities. Yeah. What's so different this time? Well, oh. or the political authorities. Oh, yeah. The or thing. the medical authorities or the economic authorities, whatever. Authority is yeah. bad because all those authorities are, you know, trying to rob and cheat us and we're afraid of them. What's different? What's different today is the Internet, social media. Whenever you get a, a, a big new technology, it takes some decades, it takes a century to kind of control the, the downside of that. You know, technologies have upsides and downsides, like everything else. You know, a, a gun can be used to defend or a gun can be used to intimidate. You know, there's weapons that are offensive and weapons that are defensive. So 
A technology like the internet is wonderful. It creates a level playing field. It lets everybody have equal standing of getting their ideas out. Well, that's the upside, and that's a wonderful side. On the downside, it lets everybody get their ideas out. <laughs> and some of those everybodies are all full of fear and what, you know, they want power, they want control, they want to manipulate, and all they have to do is frighten people and they'll do it. So it's we wouldn't have this we've never had this level of fear before like this this kind of general fear of civilization fear of of control fear of being manipulated well there's a lot of manipulation going on of course marketers are manipulating religions are manipulating you know economic systems are manipulating all those things are manipulating and many of them use fear to do it that's true and that's also fueled by mass media. So we went from a time, what, 200 years ago, where somebody would stand up on a soapbox in a town square, and maybe if he was lucky, he'd talk to 30 people. Okay. Now that person can talk to 30 million people easily. All he has to do is say something wild enough to get their attention. And that wild enough means scary really scary. Because when people stand up and say, oh, this horrible thing happened, everybody goes, what? Tell me about it. If they say, oh, look, these people had a really good time and everybody laughed and had a really fun day and nobody cares. That's part of our, you know, that's part of our instincts for survival. Things that are scary, we want to know about because we may have to deal with that scary thing and we want to know about it. Things that make people happy, well, that's nice, but who cares? You know, it's doesn't have a lot of survival value to us. So we're very focused on the negative. And now, look at your news. It's nothing but negativity. Everything ugly that happens anywhere in the world now gets thrown up in, in your face all the time. All the nice stuff, not so much. So after a while, you think the world is just ugly. This is the world such an ugly place because of all the beautiful things going on you never see. And all the ugly things, you'll see five or six, seven, ten times before they're done, before they've melted them for all the fear that they can get out of them. So we've just come into the information age, and we're right in the beginnings of it, and we have to learn how to deal with this new tool that gives everybody a platform to millions of people. And you know, like in the, in the very early days of the, of the Industrial Revolution, you know, the industrialists who built their factories, you know, were, were taking, uh, you know, like 12-year-olds and chaining them, you know, to the, you know to, to the machine that they were supposed to be running because otherwise they wouldn't come back because they were treated so badly, you know. So we had lots of things like that, you know. We had the, what, to build the, the railroads out west, People went and, you know, being shanghaied now is a, is, a, is a term. Well, that's because people went to the east, grabbed people off the streets, threw them in boats, and brought them back here to work on the railroads. Well, there was a lot of things like that that were very abusive in the early days of the Industrial Revolution. But eventually, we got rid of that. You know, we said, no, that's wrong. It's illegal. You can't do that. Well, we haven't figured that out yet in the, in the information revolution. We're still in the very first years of it, 
and it's still the Wild West, if you, if you like that analogy, in the inter- information world, and you're having all this fear-mongering, and it's tearing us apart as far as the civilization, civilization goes. So It's growing pain. Huh? It's growing pain. It's a growing pain, absolutely. See, that's the thing. That's why you don't get unhappy about it, because we have to get through this. We need that Internet. It gives us value that we can't get any other way. It's a wonderful invention, but we have to learn how to deal with it. So they're growing pains, but it's worth it. We couldn't have gotten to the information age if we hadn't gone through the industrial age. If we looked at the industrial age and say, oh, look at all those abuses. Let's stop industrialism. You see, that's not the right answer. The answer is to deal with it, tame it, um, you know, regulate it, make it service rather than tear us apart. So it's growing pains. And it's not that the Internet's a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. But we have to, we have to tame it. We have to grow up with it. Yeah, it's just growing pain. And we have to get through it. We had to get through the Industrial Revolution. Growing pains. We had to get through the agrarian revolution, what, five, ten thousand years ago. You know, we weren't all wandering nomads. You know, we sat down and started to become farmers. That was a, another big thing that was, a, that was a problem. People who were wandering around were used to wandering everywhere. Nobody owned anything. Now suddenly their fences were up. It says, no, you can't wander here. I own this. Well, it changed things a lot. So it's just the nature of progress that you have growing pains when things new come up. And the information age is a really big paradigm shift. It's a, probably a much bigger paradigm shift than the industrial age was. It's just a really big paradigm shift, and it's going to take some time for us to figure out how to deal with it without you know, tearing, tearing ourselves into pieces. But it's good. We have to deal with it. It's part of what we're going through. You know, it's like looking at 10-year-olds and seeing how obnoxious they are sometimes because they're loud and they're noisy and they break things and they don't understand anything and you try to give them some help and they refuse it. And you can say, oh, yeah, but you don't get angry at a 10 and 12-year-old for being 10 or 12. You accept them and say, oh, yeah, that's the age. That's just the way they are when they're that age. And you cut them some slack and be positive and help them along, and eventually they grow up, and they grow out of it and get left self-centered. Well, that's where we are now as a, as a culture. You know, we're, we're going to this new age, and we have to go through the growing pains to get out the other side. But we need to get out the other side. So there's no going back. It's always forward. But the way we're going politically, I don't think we have a century to figure out this thing about, uh, you know, fear-mongering on the Internet. I think that's something that you see as tearing civilizations apart and where it ends up of course is in totalitarianism that's the you know that's the model humans have lived with for the last almost 200,000 years has been the warlord mentality you know there's the big guy on top you know and he makes all the rules and everybody else obeys and it's a it's a fear-based system where people obey because they're fearful not to so it's a complete fear-based warlord mentality, and that's where a lack of cooperation and caring takes you. So if, the, if we keep going this way without finding a workaround, then we're going to have a period that's going to be dark for a while. 
we're going to go back to the warlord mentality for some decades until we go, oh, you know, that's a bad idea. We need to do better. Just like we had probably a, a century of abusive uh, industrialism before we got over that. So who knows? Maybe we'll have to destroy our civilizations for another half a century before we can come back and do it better next time. I hope not. That's, that's like, you know, one step forward and five steps backward. But we'll eventually get there, which is another thing that should make you happy. We will eventually get there. We'll get through the growing pains. If we grow lovingly from now on, what would governments or government, the government look like in the future? Ah, good question. And you know, to make that even more general, if you had people who were caring, if you had high quality of consciousness people, it wouldn't matter what government you started with. You could start with capitalism, communism, socialism, any ism that you want, and you'd all end up at the same place. And that is you'd end up with a government that was whose mission was and, and whose intent was to optimize the whole. In other words, to optimize all the citizens. So if you the government would be there to to organize to I mean, as government has a you know, we have a need for government. Civilizations need government because you can't have you can't have uh, large uh, interactions between people without rules. Government is just is the is basically the organizing body that writes the charter for the rules, writes the charter for the rules that everybody has to live with. Okay, so you know that's what governments do. So if we're not all just going to live in little groups of you know ten or twelve wandering through the the woods, then we're going to have rules that help us live together in a social system. And that's called government. But the government needs to be for the people. Yeah, of the people, by the people, for the people. Not like we have here in the U.S., which is of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations. You know, it's, uh, we've not done too well there. We started out with good ideas, but it, it's uh, kind of been meandering away from those ideas. So in, let's see, what would that government be like? What it would be like is that every person would be given the maximum amount of free choice possible and supported for that. You know, people in their minds say, oh, collective, collective government, ooh, bad thing. You know, socialism, communism, collective governments, it always ends up in tyranny. Well, mostly it does end up in tyranny because you don't have high quality consciousness people. You have very low-quality consciousness people. So there's always somebody that wants to hijack that for their own personal interest. And that always happens because we have such low quality. But if we did have, you started with that assumption, if we did have those high-quality people, then the government would truly give everybody maximum free choice, maximum options. So if you are an engineer and you're working in an engineering company, and you decide, gee, I'd like to paint pictures, or I'd like to write poetry. It's kind of been a hobby of mine, but I'd like to really put full-time effort to that. 
the system would say, great, we need artists, we need poets, go right ahead. And it wouldn't cost you as far as, you know, paying the mortgage, uh, you know, feeding your family, you know, all that would be fine. Because the system needs poets, it needs artists, those are good things. Um, you know, it would, it would, you know, you could be a brain surgeon and you could say, all right, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and or what is it, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I'm going to do brain surgery. But I feel like I'm wasting away just doing that all the time. I'm unhealthy, I'm weak, I don't know, on, on, on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I'm going to ride on the back of a garbage truck and I'm going to lift heavy garbage cans, get a lot of fresh air, and build up my physical system some. Well, you could do that. See, now you can't do that. You get locked into a track and a pattern and you just turn the crank on that pattern because that's what keeps the income coming in. But in a system that was run by and for people of high quality, the system would try to adjust itself to meet everybody's needs. And everybody in it would want to do that. So that when Andy says, oh, you know, I want to be a poet, everybody says, we want Andy to be a poet. Because everybody wants Andy to do whatever Andy likes. Now, there'd still be rules. No, you can't go around and murder people you don't like. And no, you can't steal. And because these are all high entropy things that you just can't do. So there's still rules. Society still has to have laws, still has to have things like that. But almost nobody would ever break such a law because everybody is a high-quality person who wants to be helpful to everybody else. So you see, it's not only the government, it's not the government forcing people to let Andy be a poet. It's everybody in the population wants Andy to be a poet if that's what Andy wants to be. Because everybody cares about everyone else. Everybody wants to do what they can do to make everybody else as happy as they can be. So now there's, there's limits, right? There's limits to resources, there's limits to things, and those rules would have to deal with that. But everybody would look at it and say, oh, that's, you know, we need to be fair. We need to care. Everybody needs to be a winner here. And it would be a wonderful thing. And like I say, it doesn't matter what government you start with. If you had high-quality people, it would all turn into the same thing, which is a government that was there just to organize things to everybody's benefit. It would be the organizer, and that is how it would work. Right now, of course, our politicians are very self-serving. It's all about power, all about their power. You know, it's not about the country. It's about the party. It's not even about the party. It's about me getting reelected. But I get reelected because I can get rich being elected. But isn't that built into a system and democracy? Because you need votes. Yeah, so but it's, on, it's only built in. It's not built in. It happens to us, whether it's socialism, communism, or capitalism, they all tend to deteriorate with time and head toward fascism. Because that's the way we are. We are fearful. We are low-quality consciousness. And everything tends to reflect that. So until the people change, whatever government you start with, however well-meaning, however many rules you have, eventually it's going to end up warlord. The big boss tells everybody else what to do. You know, hierarchy based on fear. That's because that's the way we humans are right now. And when we grow up, 
then it won't be built in. When we grow up, yes, you need to get votes, but votes are going to be people voting for other people to be that organizer, to organize it in a way that's good for everybody. And if they see it's being organized a way that it's good for some but not for others, they wouldn't vote that way because everybody wants it to be good for everybody, not just for them. So the only reason we have these problems is because we have a low quality of consciousness in our electorate, as does everyone else. So the solution is to raise the quality of consciousness of the individual. That's the only solution. Everything else is just a symptom of a low quality of consciousness. So poor government, poor economic systems, poor attitudes, you know, thieving corporations, you know, line marketers, abusive law enforcement, you know, all this stuff are just symptoms of a general low quality of consciousness. And if you try to fix any of those, it won't, it won't stay long. So, we, so um, I live in San Francisco, and we have a homelessness problem. And every day we hear something about how to solve homelessness. Is homelessness also a symptom that if we tr- try to solve it, we, we can't because the, the whole system is rotten? Yeah. Exactly. It's not the whole, it's not we blame the system. Blame us. We're what's rotten. The humans, the humans that make up the system are low quality. So people who can't, who aren't successful in our system, in our economic system, well, our system really doesn't care a whole lot about them. They, they're not successful in our system, then the system just dumps them out under the bridge, and that's where they live. They're homeless, and nobody particularly cares that much. And they make up stories to make themselves feel better, like, well, if those people would work, they'd be fine. But that's usually not the case. It's not that their unwillingness to work is usually the problem. There's usually some other problem going on there. Or if they weren't all drug addicts, they could do fine. That was their choice. Well, that's a very, you know, ego driven argument. So our society makes, tries to make themselves feel better by saying that it's the homeless people are only homeless because they don't, you know, they're not working. They're not doing it right. They've made poor choices, which is not always the case. Matter of fact, probably in the majority, it's not the case. You know, this, sometimes people just get left out, or sometimes they have bad situations. Sometimes they lose a job and don't have any backlog to fill it in. It's just things happen. In a society that cared about people, you wouldn't have homeless. There'd be homes for people like that. There would be, you know, a certain basic things that they would have. They would have basic uh, health care. They'd have basic food, shelter, just basic. Wouldn't necessarily be frilly, wouldn't necessarily be nice, wouldn't necessarily even be, you know, wonderful, wonderful place to be, but it would meet all the basic needs. You wouldn't have homelessness. The society would not tolerate that. And there'd also be systems built in, processes built in to help those people get back into the success track. You know, Every, you know, 
Just like, you know, we have some of that here. We could do a whole lot better, but just like community colleges. Community colleges were, were put around all over, the, all over the country. You know, every community pretty much has a community college. And those were, th- those were ways for the people who weren't in that academic march, you know, that went right through the academic high school to the college. And, you know, they weren't in that line. Okay, they were in some other line. Why? Who knows? Maybe just because both their parents were blue-collar workers and, you know, they never even thought about college as an opportunity. Well, they can now go to a community college. Community colleges don't have strict entrance requirements, but they make you do the work. And once you come out of a community college with good grades, well, now you can be accepted to any college. And community colleges are inexpensive, so it, it takes all the people who kind of weren't in that march step thing running through college, it gives them an opportunity to go back and pick that up. And we need to make sure that there are built-in on-ramps at every level to help people get to the next level. No matter why they got to wherever they are, there needs to be these escalators, you know, these on-ramps that say, well, okay, here's a way to pick that up. And meantime, you're not going to have to worry about shelter or food or health care. So you agree with universal basic income? Yeah, I think uh, those kinds of ideas would be good. Basic sustenance. We can afford it. You know, if we were all dirt poor, groveling in the dirt, just trying to get enough food to eat, then no, we wouldn't be ready for that yet. But we produce enough and have enough resources that there's no need for people to starve. Mm. If these people starve, it's because we don't care enough to build on-ramps for them. Mm-hmm. You know, if those people are poor, then we need to give them on-ramps that they can change that situation, that they can be productive, become part of the society that pays taxes, you know, that uh, produces there needs to be ways to help them. And if there are those people who just you know, don't want to do anything but, but subsist, then let them subsist. Mm-hmm. That's all right. But there, but there wouldn't be, as long as there were on-ramps, there wouldn't be many people who would do that. And it doesn't seem like that would be the case according to your um, theories because there is this inherent nature to grow in consciousness right to grow to become to do more to be something to better yourself yeah that's all ingrained so if you didn't have this this mentality of being beaten down and a victim and i can't do it then most people would find a way to do it and we would have to like i say have these on ramps so that basically everybody could do it You know, we need to be more inclusive of people. We need to be, you know, we we need to embrace diversity more. If somebody's not just like us, they frighten us. You know, we we can't stand anybody that's different. You know, if they're not just like us, then there's something wrong with them. We need to fix them. So we find somebody that's not like the majority and our our way of looking at that is to say, well, if they're not like us, then they're, they're flawed. There's something wrong with them. We can either fix them or we can exclude them. 
But all of that is just really, really egoic and fearful thinking. Diversity is wonderful. We need diversity. We cannot develop and grow and evolve without a lot of diversity. So a lot of those people who are homeless have things that they could do, ways they could be productive. But they're strange enough or not normal, normal in a mathematical sense, you know, not average enough, that basically the system is very slanted against them. Mm. So we need to include them. Find things for them to do, things that they can do. Give them on-ramps. Again, on-ramps for everybody, you know. It's, and be more accepting of those people doing, let's say maybe they're, they are uh, very slow learners or you know, have very poor memories or whatever. It makes it hard for them to hold a job. Well, we need to find things that they can do, things that are profitable. And if they're working up to their ability, you know, up to their potential, even if that potential is just sweeping the floor with a broom, maybe that's, that's the max of their potential. If they're working up to their potential, then they should have enough of a living wage that they can be comfortable. Mm. You see, because they're humans, they're working up to their potential. Mm-hmm. That's, that's enough. You know, they should have something. Now, if they're not working up to their potential, well, then maybe they still should have just something basic, but something just barely. Mm-hmm. And if they don't want to work up to their potential, then maybe they could still live to the basics. But I would think that if a society that was that was not so abusive of people who are different, there probably would be such a tiny percentage of people who would rather live at the you know at the poverty who who would rather live in poverty than work. That would be such a tiny percentage of people; it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, if one hundredth of one percent, you know does that who cares it's not that important let them do that Mm. i don't think there would be very many the reason we have so many that are down there that seem trapped is because they feel they can't get out there is no ramp Mm. they feel like victims they've lost their incentive to try Mm. they they feel beat down well that's because we as a society haven't built the ramps and the ways out Mm. you know for them we haven't given them training. Matter of fact, we do just the opposite. We stigmatize them. And even when they come out looking for productive work, we ignore them. They're the last, they're the very last to be hired, or you know, they're they're made fun of, or just mm-hmm. you know, we don't. Yeah, so it's because of our low quality of consciousness. Again, that's the problem. You know, it's not the economics, it's not the welfare, it's not any of that stuff. It's our low quality of consciousness that creates all these problems. If we had a higher quality of consciousness, we wouldn't have a problem with homeless. We wouldn't have a problem with, you know, people struggling to develop their own potential. And we raise that consciousness by starting with ourselves face our fears. Yeah, exactly. Facing your fears. It's not about other people. It's not about those horrible homeless people, those horrible egotistical people out there. No, and it's not. A, yeah, it's not about those, you know, those CEOs and those government people and those greedy people. It's not about them. It's just about us. 
they reflect us. They're a reflection of the culture that we create. And if we were to grow up, all of those institutions would change. The governments would change. Like I say, it wouldn't matter what government you had. You could have any kind of government. If the people grew up, the government would serve the people. You see, it would change. It would morph automatically to represent the people. So our governments and our institutions represent our quality of consciousness. And you could take that, that uh, what, guy making $10 million a year who's a chairman of the board, pull him out, <clears throat> put somebody that you pull out of a ghetto someplace and put him in there, and within five or ten years, you wouldn't know the difference. Mm. It'd all be the same. Mm. Because it's, that's just the way we are. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been enlightening, fascinating. Um, thank you so much for your work, and I hope uh, you'll come back to talk to us soon. Well, yeah, it's been fun, Andy. I like your questions. I've enjoyed talking with you again, and uh, Charles, it's been good to meet you. To learn more about Time Out and NIMSA, go to nimsa.me. Join our social media and continue the conversation on Time Out for Humanity. Let us know what topics you would like us to cover.